0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. Today, we're going to look at broadband, increasingly important. We wouldn't have this program, wouldn't be able to record it remotely without broadband. And suddenly, when education becomes so dependent on the internet, broadband becomes vital. But not everyone has access to it, particularly in rural communities, there is broadband deprivation. You can't get any. And so I've asked two experts to come with us today to look at broadband, to talk about broadband, and how this deficit can be repaired. They are Morgan O'Brien, Executive Chairman of antarex who is a legend in the communications business, having been one of the creators of the cell phone, one of the Founders of the whole cell phone revolution uh, with the company Nextel. He was the co founder of that. And James Matheson, chief executive officer of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. Uh, previously, he was for a short while a lobbyist and for a long time a member of a Congress. So, between the two of you, you have a lot to answer for the man who brought us the cell phone and the man who sat in Congress. I always feel that anyone who was in Congress has a lot to answer for. Let's, let's go right to broadband. Uh, Morgan, would you tell us what is broadband?
1: Llewellyn, it's a pleasure to be with you and with- uh, Likewise,
0: so nice to have you on the broadcast.
1: Thank you. Uh, broadband is a uh, highway. It's a highway for data. And that highway can be uh, truly virtual as in wireless, or it can be along a, a wire or a fiber. So all the miracles of modern communications that we've all gotten hooked on, like the smartphone and streaming video and instantaneous access through the internet to large data files are a result of various forms of broadband. The ability for massive amounts of data to be transmitted rapidly and uh, converted out of zeros and ones and into intelligent information such as your red bow tie. So broadband is the enabling technology of various forms for the digital revolution.
0: Okay, and Jim, uh, broadband has been around for 25 years. It's essential to modern life. If you don't have it, you're a deprived citizen. You can't watch movies. You can't participate in a program like this, that kind of thing. And certainly if your children are being remotely educated, they won't be educated. And if you're depending on any kind of remote communication, you're not going to be able to do it without broadband. How in 25 years is it that so many people have been left out?
2: You ask why not in the last 25 years? It's a great question. Uh, First of all, The challenge for serving rural areas, whether electricity or with broadband, is economics. The low-density population makes the economics less favorable. The for-profit companies aren't going to do it. And quite frankly, even non-for-profit entities like co-ops, the economics are challenging, and that's why it's going to require public policy and public support to make it happen. And while there's been money at the Federal Communication Commission through the Universal Service Fund for the last 25 years... That money hasn't been deployed in a way that really has assisted these low density rural areas. And public policy fortunately has changed just in the last couple of years that's allowed electric cooperatives to have access to participate, to compete those funds at the Federal Communication Commission. We weren't able to until a couple of years ago, but now electric cooperatives are moving into this space. We've got over 150 electric cooperatives in this country offering retail broadband to consumers today And we have many more who are interested in doing it going forward. So the problem is not solved, but we're in a much better place today than we have been historically.
0: Over these long years, it has always been said that in some way, electric utilities should be in the telecommunications business because they know how to pull wire. They have rights of way. And yet it hasn't really happened. I was talking to somebody very recently, in fact, uh, last week, who said that they had a plan, I think it was with Oracle, I'm not sure, to send telephone messages and a broadband down live electric wires and that the, the, the regulators didn't allow it and it died. Uh, is it possible to do this? And is that where the co-ops will come into play?
2: I'm not the technology expert, but I'm not sure we're quite there where we can do that over electric wires themselves. But your question is appropriate in that electric cooperatives do have a certain set of assets and capability that should help facilitate delivery of broadband, the infrastructure of the poles and the rights of way that you mentioned. But there's another really exciting development, and that is that technology is driving differences in the way we structure the electric grid. We're moving to what people call the smart grid. And the smart grid requires certain communications capacity, or let's call it broadband capacity, to run an effective electric utility in 2020. So the inclusion of that type of infrastructure as well really puts co-ops and other electric utilities, quite frankly, in a wonderful position to leverage those assets to provide broadband to the retail consumer.
0: My reading tells me, Jim, that there are 900 electric cooperatives, roughly, and about 150 of those actually are offering some sort of broadband service. How has that come about and how well is it working? Some of the
2: first uh, electric cooperatives that did this did it on their own, but the real uh, initial wave of co ops getting involved in the broadband package happened about 10 years ago. With the stimulus package after the Great Recession in 2009, there was monies made available and certain co-opters took advantage of that. Since that time, it's been a slow process where rules of the FCC, where the, a lot of the money is, didn't allow co-ops to participate, but now they are. And you've seen 150 co-ops now get in this business. Uh, there are hundreds more who want to, and they're looking at it and doing feasibility studies and applying to participate. To compete for the federal communications funding. Not all 900, mind you. Some of our cooperatives serve suburban areas that already have broadband. But a significant number of our membership in the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association really are interested in moving ahead with this.
0: Um, Morgan, broadband is close to your heart. In fact, your company and Terex controls a lot of the spectrum that makes broadband possible. And you've been working with electric utilities to improve their communications, the flow of data, and to make it secure. Where do you, and where does Antarix fit into this picture of broadband for the deprived?
1: Let me tell you our story. It's, uh, it's been so satisfying and uh, exciting for us. Uh, five or six years ago, we were able to acquire some spectrum and we then uh, uh, approached the Federal Communications Commission and suggested that that spectrum, because of its uh, where it is in the uh, radio uh, uh, magnetic spectrum, uh, it, it was very well suited to uh, uh, wide area coverage for broadband. If we could get the rules changed, uh, six years later and uh, more than two hundred and fifty pleadings put on on the record at the FCC, the unanimous decision was made a few months ago by the FCC to authorize what we had originally suggested. So. Uh, there is now uh, a nationwide broadband capability, nationwide spectrum uh, availability for broadband. And we're focusing virtually all of our attention on the electric utility industry. So that means the investor-owned utilities, the municipals, and the co-ops. And as as you know from when you suggested that uh, that I would have an opportunity this afternoon to talk with you and uh, and the congressman, I said I was very enthusiastic about doing it because And Terex has been working with the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association to try to educate their members about the availability of the spectrum. Now, let me tell you why it's uh, such a beneficial potential relationship. As the electric grid modernizes and becomes more of a two-way as opposed to a one-way flow because of distributed generation, such as wind and solar, If that happens to the architecture of the grid, it's more important to have two-way communications, two-way broadband capabilities to be able to manage that. So the electric industry, including the co-ops, as they modernize, will be making investments in uh, infrastructure that supports that kind of a spectrum deployment. At the same time, that same infrastructure is useful for uh, rural broadband consumer services. It's the it's not the full solution, but it addresses a significant part of the economic shortfall. And so we see a very virtuous uh, uh, synergy
0: there. What is the mission nowadays of the electric cooperative? Uh, Is it simply to provide electricity, or does it still have that large social dimension?
2: Well, I'm glad you asked because electric cooperatives are actually owned by the consumers and the communities they serve. There really is a community focus to the electric cooperatives. So, of course, delivering reliable, affordable power is is one of the key missions, but there's something beyond it in terms of serving the community. And we have a range of different cooperatives from very small that might serve a couple of thousand accounts to uh, co-ops that are serving over 300,000 meters. Uh, and so there's a wide range of co-ops in terms of size and scale. Most of them cover rural areas. We cover more than half of the land mass of the United States. Some of them are now serving suburban areas. They were rural in the 1930s. They're they're no longer uh, rural. They're suburban. So there's a diversity of experience across all the cooperatives. But the common thread is they're consumer-owned, non-for-profit entities, that are owned in the communities they serve, and there's a really mission-driven component to how they view their role within their community to create greater quality of life.
0: I've uh, always wondered uh, how long they can hold on the smaller ones, where they buy the power and retail it, but this works quite well, doesn't it?
2: It's interesting you ask. most of the power they buy is from other cooperatives, because and within the cooperative network. And uh, one measure of their strength is 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 the way the rating agencies rate the the debt on electric cooperatives. And actually, the the average rating for electric cooperatives is at a higher quality level than the investor-owned utility sector. So um, the cooperatives still seem to p- be providing an exceptional service to their members and real value, and they're doing it in an economically responsible way.
0: Morgan. Where does optic fiber stop and wireless take over?
1: You, you won't be surprised to have me say that it's economics again. Uh, where you can justify economically laying in a fiber, uh, not only do you get all the benefits of fiber today, but you have all the going forward advantages of fiber into the future for the unknown applications that uh, are still just a dream. So. Fiber has the monster capacity, but the last mile—we refer to the last mile—is where it simply is not feasible uh, to get um, fiber, and so the perfect complement is wireless to add that last mile. But let me take let me take a minute and make sure, since I know I think I have a very good idea of the of the kind of people that watch your show and the importance of Someone in the private sector like myself reiterating the point about how important it is for rural broadband to be made available uh, universally, to to solve that economic problem as a matter of public policy. That to think of uh, children who are uh, trying to be prepared for going into uh, the world of tomorrow and not have access broadband capabilities uh, as their peers do. Uh, it's just would be a, it's a nationwide scandal. So for those who are listening, who are part of this public policy apparatus in, in Washington, it's just so important. And I think there's plenty of signs that even on a bipartisan basis, Congress is beginning to look at the necessity of putting in significant amounts of investment. Uh, I think rural broadband is one of the lucky if you can use that word with the covid pandemic it's one of the few lucky beneficiaries because it's put so there's been so much focus put on it and i think you're going to see substantial federal incentives and support for this and it's a it's a good thing and, and those of us in the uh, private sector should be uh, echoing this message and supporting it it's it should be a fundamental right And uh, Anterex and companies like Anterex will do their part.
0: Um, I I would point out that the modern farm, farms are served by rural electric cooperatives, the farmer isn't the farmer of old. The farmer is a systems manager. And that requires a lot of broadband, a lot of data. Uh, You can't really run a modern farm without huge input from the internet. Is that not true, Jim?
2: Absolutely. The, the the technology, it's it's called precision agriculture, where uh, you can have such greater efficiencies now uh, if you utilize uh, significant amounts of data, quite frankly, to monitor where seeds are planted, how much fertilizer is uh, introduced in a locational basis. And that all requires substantial data download and upload. So uh, that's just one example of the economic benefit to rural America if we have adequate broadband in those areas.
0: You were a congressman from a a rural area in Utah, right? How much deprivation did you see from a lack of broadband in your own constituency?
2: Well, it's interesting. Uh, I come from one of the western states in Utah where a substantial amount of the land is is federally owned and so no one lives on it. So uh, rural Utah is quite different from, let's say, rural Illinois. Uh, where you have a farmhouse every mile or two. Uh, so in in a, in an interesting way, I didn't see as much deprivation in, in, in Utah where the populations are clustered in communities and there's wide open spaces where no one lives compared to other rural areas. That being said, I do know that there were challenges even in our own state in communities of a reasonable size because they were still isolated from population centers. And I recognize that it, it, it's it's a challenge for broad economic development in general. Um, let's just piggyback on a earlier comment though the pandemic has really shown a light on this and there is strong, as Morgan said, strong bipartisan interest in addressing this issue right now. I hear it on Capitol Hill from members of both parties. The key with all that interest is let's make sure we structure the public policy in a way to make it most effective so the broadband is
0: actually deployed throughout rural America. When you were on Capitol Hill, how aware was the Congress of this challenge?
2: You know, it's funny you ask. I I felt like, and I was on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which had jurisdiction over telecommunications. um, There were a lot of conversations about broadband, and quite frankly, on a regular basis, there seemed to be legislation passing that was supposed to promote broadband. And I started to ask myself the question of, wait a minute, we keep passing these bills, but we don't seem to be affecting real change out in the real world. And I gained a greater understanding of my role with the electric co-ops now on the other side of the equation, trying to access these federal programs to learn the best ways to structure them for them to be effective. And one of the key things is to make sure that we have accurate data, accurate maps that define where areas are unserved or underserved. And we make sure that the system can't be, uh, can't be taken advantage of by incumbent entities. They're providing substandard service and you can't build over with higher quality service. That's been one of the challenges, but as I, I, I think I mentioned two or three times, that the policy is definitely moving in a better direction in 2020 than it's been in the past.
0: Morgan, uh, one of the things which is confusing is the way that the very mention of 5G seems to mesmerize people and also at the same time to make them unable to move. It freezes them. It's coming. You know, we used to see something very similar with high-definition television. Oh, it was coming, you can't buy a television because it's magic television. And then it just slid in quite smoothly and nobody was aware of it and the Japanese didn't take over the world and everything was all right. Is this the same or is 5G gonna radically change telephony, broadband and everything else?
1: Uh, I think the answer is all of the above. And let me start by saying that to demystify it. All it is is the next generation, i.e. the fifth generation of technology to support mobile telephony and uh, and also now data telephony. So it's just the next stop along the way in the unstoppable technological revolution that has changed everybody's lives by what's available and the cost at which it's available. So there's nothing to be uh, feared. The very smart people that uh, uh, sit over top globally of these technologies have assured that there will be a, a seamless transition from 4G, the current generation, LTE, to 5G. So it will be smooth in that respect. But in terms of the capabilities that will be revolutionary. And more so in the things that uh, the congressman was just talking about, uh, agriculture and the enterprise, it will revolutionize those with artificial intelligence and machine learning because it, it is such a vast increase in the capacity that that which is uh, today something that you can imagine would be possible Real time uh, with this technology, which is being deployed, will revolutionize everything, and it's uh, absolutely not to be feared. It's to be celebrated.
0: And um, what what is the role of data in broadband? Is it a great way of moving data, collecting data, assembling data, for example? this farm of the future we talk of which is sort of coming along in tandem with the city of the future uh which is going to be highly interconnected but the farm and i think this is interesting i'd love to hear jim's view on this too that is going to be uh, really highly technical you don't actually have to have a human being sitting on a tractor when easily the tractor can be remotely deployed uh, and many other things and as technology and particularly sensors improve, you don't have to have people bending down to pick carrot, to dig carrots out of the ground. They can be removed very delicately and correctly by a robot, but you can't do that if you don't have the communications.
1: Right, let me just, let me just take one minute and then I think you're right, Jim, is a better one to answer this. But I, I will say this, that one of the other buzzwords is big data. And we're at a crossroads here. 5G is to big data, the, the enabler. Uh, vast amounts of data can be collected inexpensively at multiple points through the fields of a given farmer, identifying precisely what amount of moisture needs to be delivered at that precise point based on the last five years of practice and the next five years of predicting forward. This vast amount of data and machine learning this replaces fallible human uh, in making better decisions. So, I, data, I, all, all, everything broadband is zeros and ones. It, it's our voice, our picture, everything.
0: Well, I, I must say that I, I have some sorrow for the passing of the old-fashioned farmer who was a renaissance person. He could taste the soil and tell you whether the pH was this or that way. He could operate a welding machine. He could run an electric generator, using a big old diesel thing with huge flywheels that went chug-a-chug-chug but did his job for 30 years. He could repair. Now I understand that the new tractors, you can't even repair them because they're all black boxes. How do you feel about my rather sentimental feeling that the real rural life is changing out of recognition, Jim? I, I,
2: I listen. I think at the end of the day, uh, it's a, it's a nice explanation of how um, this access to to the, to the the capabilities of broadband can create efficiencies and opportunity. Uh, I wouldn't be lost also on the agriculture side to mention the environment <laughs> there are less resources, less. Uh, less use of different fertilizers, moisture, whatnot. It's gonna create a more efficient context economically and environmentally as well. and That's gonna be one of the exciting opportunities we see.
0: And what is the comprehension in the Congress, generally, of rural America? Uh, Used to be thought that the farm vote dominated everything, but increasingly it seems to become the urban vote that is important. I'm always hesitant
2: to paint any aspect of America with a broad brush, be it urban America, suburban America, or rural America. But that being said, the population demographic trends are what they are. More members of Congress represent suburban areas than they used to, and uh, and I think that the 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 issue for rural America to be strong from an advocacy perspective is to point out that the health of rural America affects everyone in America. That's the approach we take from the Rural Electric Cooperative Association perspective when we lobby Congress and the agencies. We talk about the health of rural America benefits us all. It's where a significant amount of our food production takes place. It's where a significant amount of manufacturing takes place. It's an important part of our economy, even if not as much of a population lives there. It's still... Tied into the rest of this population, and I think that's a perspective that is more and more understood by Congress going forward. But it is a different paradigm than it used to be. There's no question, and it's important for advocates for rural America to talk in that context.
1: But, but but Llewellyn, I can have I can share and identify your nostalgia for the can do everything farmer, but I think that focus needs to be on the children of that farmer, and keeping them on the job and in these locations and taking the next generation of technology uh, with them and becoming the farmers of the future that's that's what's going to save this country is to be able to provide the tools and the technology so that these people uh, are motivated to stay uh, and continue to do uh, the farming that feeds us all
0: Well, that's true. I'm interested in when you see leapfrog technology, Uh, and you've seen with cell phones, leapfrog technology in Africa, for example. You've also seen leapfrogging with drones, Uh, whereas uh, when some parts of Africa, they're delivering blood by drone because there were really no roads, and cell phones have really taken off where there is no other infrastructure, there is a cell phone infrastructure, but we haven't seen quite that kind of leapfrogging of technology in America. Is that because we have too much legacy technology? In Africa, there's no legacy. All of those, nothing to be abandoned, uh, nothing to be orphaned. Um, Whereas in the United States, of course, we have huge established, you know, everything from power lines to copper, electric wire, um, uh, telephone wires still. Is there an inhibition against this broad new technological future that I think you're ready to answer, Morgan?
1: Well, I I guess my answer facetiously is I certainly hope not.
0: I thank you both for coming on White House Chronicle. It's been a joy talking to you, and I hope you'll come back. Uh, Until next time. Think about Morgan and the cell phone and remember my heart is rural. I liked the farmer who could taste the soil and, uh, uh, you know, bring a a pig to, uh, to market and take care of it in every way. I hope those multiple and fabulous skills are not lost. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.